0: Morning. Welcome to St. James. I'm glad you guys are here. Welcome to everybody who's watching on the live stream too. If you're not with us uh, this morning, please check in. uh, Text me or email me. Say hi to me and let me know that you're with us. Um, Announcements. uh, A few things are different today. The adult Bible study is right after this and kids Sunday school right after this. Uh, That's normal. A youth confirmation. I just need to meet with the students real quick um, for just a few minutes after Sunday school this morning, and I've got uh, something to give them uh, as, as we prepare for uh, the confirmation service. Uh, there's no evening prayer tonight, and there's no new members class tonight. I, for, I, for those of you who are in new members, I neglected to tell you that last week. I just completely forgot about it. But there's no new members because we're doing the Passover Seder meal this afternoon. So which if you signed up for that, uh, that starts at uh, what time? Three o'clock. That starts at three o'clock. Uh, thank you. So uh, be here at three. If you didn't sign up for it, I, 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 unfortunately, uh, you can't just pop in. I feel bad about that. But uh, there definitely was a limit. And there's another church, Kaiva uh, Shalom in St. Louis, who's leading us in it, and their members are going to be here. And so there's a, a limited amount of space. Uh, that'll be at three. So no new members class. Also, uh, no new members class next Sunday night, because next Sunday night's Easter. And we won't be uh, meeting then as well. Uh, so schedule this week. There's no Lent service this Wednesday. There is a Monday, Thursday service, Thursday evening at 7. A Good Friday service, a Friday evening at 7. And then Easter Sunday, next Sunday, will be the normal uh, time at 9 o'clock for worship. And then uh, immediately after worship, we'll have, um, instead of uh, Sunday school and Bible study, we'll have uh, a brunch downstairs, and the kids will have an Easter egg hunt. Um, outside, it, weather permitting uh, inside if the weather 's bad uh, so that 's the schedule. I think that that 's all i 've got for you. If you have any questions, uh, please let me know okay let 's stand and let 's open uh, with the first hymn Continue in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray, God Almighty, to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord. I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray, God Almighty, to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you pardon, forgiveness, and remission of all your sins. Amen. a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The psalm is from Psalm 31. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity in my bones waste away because of all my adversaries i've become a reproach especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances those who see me in the street flee from me i have been forgotten like one who is dead i have become like a broken vessel for i hear the whispering of many terror on every side as they scheme together against me as they plot to take my life but i trust in you o lord I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Before I forget, and I did, I forgot to make this announcement. Uh, the guest registers are at the end of each aisle. If you could take those and let me know that you're here, and then they'll pass those down to the people sitting next to you. That would be terrific. And I apologize for getting to mention that earlier. Old Testament reading is from Zechariah chapter nine. It gets quoted in the Gospel reading for today, so we'll come back to it in a few minutes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. For I have bent Judah as my bow. I've made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them. And his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones. And they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine and be full like a bowl, drenched like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish, and new wine the young women. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading from Philippians 2, 5 through 11, very, very famous. Um, actually, It's actually a hymn that Paul embeds in his argument about um, uh, the heart of God, the heart of the gospel is self-sacrifice and how Jesus... Uh, Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Tell my Savior's love, what song of angels could describe? Could endless praises be enough to echo forth?
0: Gospel reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. John chapter 12. The next day the large crowds that, that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, here's the quote from Zechariah 9 that we just read a minute ago. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Be seated. So uh, this is Palm Sunday. Let me do, at the beginning here, uh, let me start off, if I can, with a little commercial uh, for coming to church this week. Um, I, I don't, Whenever you, whenever you, you get, whenever, not you, whenever I get ready for Palm Sunday, uh, the, the lectionary gives me a couple different choices of readings. And uh, the main one that they're pushing uh, since Vatican II is uh, what we, it's, it's now the Passion reading. It's actually just the story of Jesus's crucifixion, and this Sunday has been titled Passion Sunday. Now, I don't know if anybody's aware of that, and I, I get it. I get I get why they're doing that. I mean, one of the one of the main reasons is if if you're just a Sunday churchgoer, like if if you just come to church on Sunday, and you come here and you hear about Palm Sunday on this Sunday, and then you jump forward to next Sunday and you hear about Easter, there's like this big gap in the story that you're missing out. And people don't go to Holy Week services as much as they used to. It's that they aren't high holy days anymore. And I understand that. People are busy. Um, can, I, can I just do a little commercial for uh, coming to church this week? Because I'm not going to do Passion Sunday. We're not going to read the Passion story today, of course. Like every sermon, I'm going to mention the, the death of Jesus. But I want to do Palm Sunday because this is Palm Sunday. And then Thursday we're going to do Monday Thursday, which is, uh, if, uh, if you're not aware, if you're a newcomer, uh, Monday just comes from the Latin word for mandate, which comes from the Great Mandate, the New Mandate that Jesus gives. Um, this is my commandment that you love one another as I love you, and which is uh, which he gives on the night of the Last Supper. And then Friday evening we're going to read the the Passion story. Friday evening we'll read the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. And then Sunday will come, and we'll have all of this built up heading into Sunday, and um, we'll celebrate Easter together. And so, like, there's, a, there's definitely a trajectory here. And so, of all weeks, I, I, I realize the middle of the week is super important in the entire culture. It doesn't give a flip about Holy Week. And so, it's not like your sports teams are going to be like, it's not like your soccer coach is going to be like, oh, it's Monday, Thursday, let's take the night off. Uh, but so I'm just asking you to make the countercultural move and say, uh, let's come to church or watch on the live stream if you can't get here, just so we're in the story. Anyway, that's my commercial. I'm going to do, I'm not going to do Passion Sunday today. We're going to do uh, Palm Sunday today and uh, talk about what Jesus is doing. Uh, a lot of this is ne- not a lot of new information right here. Um, Jesus uh, enters Jerusalem. Uh, the people wave palms. He goes into the temp- temple and cleanses the temple. Uh, what's he doing there? Uh, three things about Palm Sunday that I think we need to know. All of it has to do with the victory of Jesus. J- Jesus, is, Jesus is prophesying. He's claiming that he's going to be victorious over over the the, the, poses, uh, the, the forces opposed to him. I mean, when, when, so when he comes in, it's the king of the Jews that they're hailing. Hail the king of the Jews. He comes in as a king. He comes in as the conqueror. Uh, three things about this. First of all, Uh, God's victory here through Jesus is holy, it's universal, and it's dangerous. Uh, First of all, the holiness of God's victory. History shows us that when conquerors make conquest, if they leave little pockets of rebellion, the conquest is not gonna pay out. That this is one of the main things we learned from Afghanistan, right? Is that unless you go in and wipe out every single person who's opposed to you, seriously opposed to you, You're never going to win. It's the lesson of Vietnam, right? Jesus, on on a much different and holier and kinder level, is determined to squash all opposition to him. He, He is opposed to everybody. So one of the things that Palm Sunday means is Jesus is opposed to everybody who could possibly be opposed to him. All right, so first of all, again, this is Christianity 101. This is a Passover festival that's going on Jesus is entering into Jerusalem during a Passover festival. The Passover is the reactualization of the Exodus. Every year, since the Exodus, Jews have celebrated Passover as the great redeeming event where God acts to save his people from the pagans, to squash all the, the you know, to squash those who worship the, the pagan gods. And to establish his people as free people, and when Jesus comes in and chooses to do what he does here during Passover week, one of the things that he's saying is that like the pagan Egyptians, the pagans who are in charge of this place, I am going to destroy. Everybody knows who he means. It's the Romans, right? It's the uh, it's uh, it's all the pagan uh, it's all the pagans who who are now in charge of Judea. A new Exodus, a new Exodus is going to happen. This time, it's going to be the final Exodus. And Jesus is finally going to defeat the pagans. That the ancient Egyptians were just like the precursors to. So pagan opposition destroyed. Secular opposition is also going to be destroyed. Secular godless opposition. Has anybody wondered? Now, so I I think we, uh, so we have palms here today. And uh, I guess that like tradition is that you grab them and bring them in. And there's a basket. I don't know if anybody grabbed them. And that's okay because I actually think that we need them for... uh, the seder this afternoon, uh, so that's cool. But has anybody like has anybody asked themselves the question why palms? What's the deal with the palms? Why did they wave palms then? What does that mean? What does that symbol? What what does it mean for us now? It just means it's the Sunday before Easter. But like, what what's up with the palms? Why did they wave palms? There's nothing in the story here that explains the palms. Actually, there's nothing in the Bible that's sitting. On your lap or in the the pew Bible in the rack in front of you that actually explains why there's palms. You have to know a little bit of Jewish history to know what the palms are about. And actually, the palms are not a Passover thing. The palms are actually a Hanukkah thing. Palms are important in celebrating Hanukkah. In fact, one of the scholars I read this week said that um, this is like if you woke up from uh, you know from a coma after several months and you woke up and you saw people gathered around a, a brightly lit tree with presents underneath, but all holding Easter baskets with chocolate in there and eating chocolate out of them. You'd be very, very confused. You'd be like, what's this weird mashup of, of holidays going on? That's actually what's going on here. It's Passover, but they're, they're waving palm branches because waving palm branches is a Hanukkah thing. Now, let me tell you a little bit about what, what I mean. You're only gonna get this story from the book of the Maccabees, this happened about 150, uh, about 160 years before Jesus was born. And what happened was is, uh, you know, Persia controlled, we, we, we just got finished reading Esther a few months ago. Persia is in charge of Israel, of, of Judea. The Persians are conquered by Alexander the Great, and then the Greeks are in charge. And one of the things that happens when the Greeks are in charge is that there's this ruler of Syria named Antiochus Epiphanes who decides, this is in 168 B.C., who decides that he is going to send a message to the Jews who are worshiping in Jerusalem. And the message is, I'm in charge and you're not. And you better humble yourself before me because it will not go easy with you if you rebel against me. And he got it into his head that one of the best ways to do this was to humiliate them. To humiliate them by going into the temple in Jerusalem and defiling it. So he wasn't supposed to be in there anyway, he was a Greek. But he definitely wasn't supposed to sacrifice the pig that he sacrificed on the altar. He, complete, he goes into the Holy of Holies. He completely defiles the temple. He sends out troops of people all over Judea with this message that you have to sacrifice pigs and swear allegiance to me. And he goes into this one small town where there's this little priestly family in the Maccabees. And... Um, Um, uh, uh, Mattathias Maccabees uh, the father of the family is told hey you're going to have to sacrifice a pig and everybody else in the town is like we better do this or they'll kill us and he says no I'm not doing this I'm not doing a sacrifice here in this town period but I'm especially not sacrificing a pig somebody else steps up uh, another Jew steps up and says well he won't do it I'll I'll just do it for him you know just leave us alone and the Maccabees family says it's not going to work like that and they take out their swords and they kill all the Jews who were wanting to cow town to the Greeks, and then they killed all the Greek soldiers who had come there to say you're going to have to do this. And then they go into hiding, but they spend a bunch of time gathering up an army to fight off the Greeks, and they do. They fight the Greeks and they get to Jerusalem, and they beat the Greeks away from the Jerusalem, from the temple in Jerusalem, and they go in, and they kick the Greeks out of the Jerusalem out of the temple. I keep on saying the Jerusalem out of the temple, and they purify the temple, and they realize that we only have, we only have amongst us eight days worth of kosher olive oil with which to burn the menorah. And we won't be able to get another uh, batch of kosher olive oil for the lamp for, we don't, I, I don't remember how long it is. But, oh, no, 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 they, 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 they don't, it's gonna be eight days, or whatever the amount of time is. And that oil that's there just a little bit of oil, burns miraculously for eight days until they get the kosher oil, which is a sign to them that God was behind this. And, of course, Jews to this day celebrate Hanukkah as this this memory of this event where God delivered. It's not just about the oil. It's not just about something magic that happened with lamps. It's about the Greeks getting defeated, the, the most powerful empire in the world, getting defeated by a little band of Jews led by this Maccabees family. And in the story of the Maccabees, it says this, I'm going to read a little bit for, uh, a little bit from you. This is not anything that's in, it's in our Bibles, but it's literature that Jesus and his friends would totally be familiar with. Now, Maccabees and his followers, the Lord leading them on, recovered the temple and the city. They tore down the altars that had been built in the public square by the foreigners, and also destroyed the sacred precincts. They purified the sanctuary and made another altar of sacrifice. Then, "'Striking fire out of flint, they offered sacrifices "'after a lapse of two years. "'And they offered incense and lighted lamps "'and set out the bread of the presence. "'When they had done this, they fell prostrate "'and implored the Lord that they might never again "'fall into such misfortunes, "'but that if they should ever sin, "'they might be disciplined disciplined by him with forbearance "'and not be handed over again "'to blasphemous and barbarous nations.'" It happened that on the same day on which the sanctuary had been profaned by the foreigners, the purification of the sanctuary took place. That is, on the 25th day of the same month, which was Kislev. They celebrated it for eight days with rejoicing in the manner of the Festival of Booths, remembering how not long before during the Festival of Booths, they'd been wandering in the mountains and caves like wild animals. Therefore, here's the, here's the part I wanted you to hear. Carrying ivy-wreathed wands and beautiful branches and also fronds of palm, they offered hymns of thanksgiving to him who had given success to the purifying of his own holy place. They decreed by public edict, ratified by vote, that the whole nation of the Jews should observe these days every year. So the celebration of the purification of the temple was celebrated with the waving of these palm fronds. Uh, later on, it happens that they've got to go back in there and weed out some, uh, some Greek interlopers who've managed to regain Uh, control of the citadel the the the, the military uh, uh, base there in jerusalem so later on those the the greeks who were in the citadel of jerusalem were prevented from going in and out to buy and sell in the country so they they uh, besieged them in there so they were very hungry and many of them perished from famine the greeks who were inside the citadel then they cried to simon simon Maccabee's one of the sons who's in charge there to make peace with them and he did so but he expelled them from there and cleansed the citadel from its pollutions On the 23rd day of the second month in the 171st year, the Jews entered it again with praise and palm branches, with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments and with hymns and songs, because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. Simon decreed that every year they should celebrate this day with rejoicing. So if Passover means the purification of the pagan forces that are in charge of God's people, Hanukkah is a reminder that God goes after the secular godless forces, the Greeks who are like, you're not going to do this irrational temple worship anymore. And we're going to come in and we're just going to kill pigs in here so that it's, 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 it's defiled. God's opposed to them too. There's nobody, there's nobody that escapes this. And also, actually, other religious forces as well. The religious opposition to Jesus is also going to be cleaned up. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, right? what he he does is not what he's expected to do if he's a military messiah. He does not come into the temple to set up a fortress, a base of, you know, a, a protected base with which to attack the Roman garrison. He comes in and he actually cleans out the temple. He shuts the temple down and shuts the religious ceremonies down and kicks out the people who are buying and selling there. Jesus is opposed to everyone. He's opposed to the pagans who are irreligious. He's opposed to the seculars who are irreligious. He's opposed to the religious people there. Jesus is opposed to everyone. This is what gets you killed, is when you don't choose a side that can back you up and just say, I'm against all y'all. At the end of the day, he dies alone. His friends leave him. I mean, his mom is there when he's crucified, but he goes on trial and he dies alone because he's opposed to everyone. Jesus doesn't work for anybody. Jesus isn't on our side, except in the sense that he's on everybody's side. Jesus isn't Jesus isn't. I'm going to have to choke to get this out. Jesus isn't a Lutheran. That's not true. Jesus doesn't work for the Lutherans. He doesn't have an office at the International Center. He doesn't come out like a puppet on a string when we need him. Jesus does not work for the Republicans or the Democrats. Jesus is not American. He's not Cameroonian. Jesus doesn't work for the Jews. Jesus works for no one. Jesus calls us to submit to him. He will not be co-opted. He will not be borrowed. He will not be a totem. He will not be a mouthpiece. He will not be a bumper sticker. He is the Lord of the universe, and he stands in opposition to all of us. There's no safe spot from him. He's in judgment on everyone. But he's in judgment on all of us so that he can save all of us. He comes as a conqueror, but not as an Alexander the Great type conqueror. Not as a General Patton type conqueror. It's more of a surgeon conqueror. He's against us because he wants to heal us. The surgeon will lay you down on a table. He'll knock you out. He'll cut you open. He'll crack your breastbone. But he'll do it because he knows If he doesn't do it, you're going to die of heart disease. Jesus is a surgeon. He's opposed to you, but he's opposed to you so that he can heal you. He comes in and he's against everybody so that he can forgive everybody. All are opposed so that all can be saved. That's the holiness of God's victory. There's not one square inch of me or you or this church or this town or this entire creation that he will not, with the sanctifying bleach of his own blood, get into every single corner and purify. He's determined to do it. He's not going to let any part of us go unscathed. He's going to be rigorous, lovingly rigorous. Like a surgeon, he's going to clean out every little bit of cancer he can find. But he's going to do it so that we can spend an eternity with perfect health and a perfect creation. God's victory is holy. It's also universal. Look at verse 15. We just read this a few minutes ago. A few minutes ago, Jesus finds the young donkey, sits on it, just as it's written, John says, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. Sitting on a donkey's goat. Then he goes on to say in verse 16, his disciples didn't understand these things at first. Well, they definitely understood that Jesus was making a messianic claim here. But what they didn't understand was the part about how can you walk in here claiming to be the king of the world and then just surrender to the authorities and get crucified? That's not the way it works. The Messiah walks in here, establishes his base, raises his army, kicks out the Romans just like the Maccabees did, defeats the Romans, defeats the pagans just like Moses did at the Exodus. That's what the Messiah does. And instead, Jesus goes into the garden. And when it's showtime, we'll we'll get to this later on this week, when it's time to fight, Jesus says, hey, I'm all in. Here, hands up. You know, just take me. And his disciples all flee. His disciples don't get it until after his resurrection, when they look back and they reflect on what Zechariah 9 means. Here's what Zechariah 9 means. Actually, I'm gonna read this to you. You can look back in the bulletin if you want to. Zechariah 9, verse 9 says, this is the verse, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, not a war horse, but on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Why, verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. Peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and I love this right here, and from the river to the ends of the earth. So if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know that lots and lots of times God promises Israel, I'm giving you all this territory from the river, which means the Euphrates, down to, and then sometimes it's like the sea, meaning Mediterranean, sometimes it's the Negev, which means south of Judea. But it's like from the Euphrates, from the river to this spot down here, the Levant. But it's like the biblical author here says, I'm gonna give you from the sea to just everywhere, the whole thing. You're gonna rule the whole world, but it's going to be a rule and a reign of peace. He's gonna speak peace to the nations. He's not here to fight in the sense that you think fighting is, like the Messiah should do. He's not going to be Alexander the Great. He's going to be a Messiah for the peace of all nations. In fact, in Mark's telling of the story of the cleansing of the temple, which happens right after this, Mark really emphasizes, when Jesus goes in, he says, you've turned this house into a house of, now I know the, the, I know the traditional interpretation is robbers, which means like stealing stuff. That's not what the word is in Greek. It's the word for rebels, brigands. It's the word lestai, which means revolutionaries. You've turned my house into a house of revolutionaries, like a fortress for the anti-Roman conspiracies. But it should have been a house of prayer for all nations from the very beginning. That's what I designed this for. This was supposed to be for all nations. So the, the, this kind of Venn diagrams with the, with the previous point. Jesus is opposed to everybody so he can be for everybody. Jesus is not here to be a king of the Jews. He's here to be a king of the world. That's his goal. This week, that's what he's going to do. He's going to conquer the whole world. There's, there's three ways that this universality of Jesus' kingdom comes out. This is the first one here is in this Zechariah 9 quote, speaking peace to the nations. The second way is this. Look at verse 19. The, this is the very last verse in our text. Uh, the Pharisees are upset, you know, with everything that's going on. All these people were, like, coming out to meet Jesus. There's all these people coming in from Bethany who saw Lazarus raised from the dead who were coming in to celebrate. And the Pharisees are kind of freaked out. And so they say to each other in verse 19, you see that you're gaining nothing. Like, who are they talking to? They're they're talking to each other. You see, this is is not working. We are treading water here. We're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, of course, it's hyperbole, right? I mean, it's not the entire world. It's just like all the people around there. And so they're kind of exaggerating in their panic. But John definitely is finding irony in this line. The world is going the world is going after him. This is actually the goal of John. You know what, what, what does the world mean in John? The world isn't like the globe in John. The world is the collection of lost, confused, unredeemed people that the Son of Man came to seek and save. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And when when the Pharisees say this, John's like, actually, yeah, that's true. That's what's happening. The whole world is going to go after this guy. You you can't stop him, Pharisees. I mean, you can kill him this week, but all that means is that you're going to turn him into the cosmic Lord of the universe that he is. He is going to, as Ephesians 4 says, he's going to fill all things. You're going to kill him, but it's just going to release him after his resurrection to be everywhere at all times, to be the Lord of the world, and yes, the entire world, including people we don't even know at this point 2,000 years ago. Like people sitting in Glen Carbon, two thousand years later, are going to go after him. The world has gone out to him. Second thing is this: is this is not in your text, but if, you, if you've got your Bibles open to the gospel reading, you'll know that right after this, uh, you know, so uh, triumphal entry. The Pharisees see, say the whole world's gone after him. The very next verse goes like this: Now among those who went up to worship at the feast of Pentecost, uh, Passover, were some Greeks, some uh, non-Jews who are coming to worship are non non-Jewish, non-Hebrew speakers were coming to worship. And so they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. So these foreigners who have come up to the Passover, they're come, they're, they see all this happening, and they come to Philip and say, hey, we wish to see Jesus. And so Philip goes and tells Andrew, and Andrew and Philip go and tell Jesus that these Greeks are looking for you. What do you think Jesus says? Jesus isn't like, okay, uh, cool, I'll be right there. Just hold on a second. You know what Jesus says? Something really, really strange, unless you know what's going on with the Zechariah 9 text and with the whole, the whole world's going out to meet him, sort of like an uh, ironic comment that the Pharisees make. Here's what Jesus says. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it, bear, it, it, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Hey, Jesus Some Greek guys want to see you. The hour has now come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I guess initially, like, it could sound like he's, like, blowing them off. Like, okay, you didn't hear what I was saying. No, he actually totally heard what he was saying. And what he's saying is this, is here they come. Here come the Gentiles. Now's the time. God's about to blow this thing up. The plan that began in the garden of Eve with Adam and Eve when he promised Him that I will rescue the human race through your offspring Eve. The plan that began with Abraham when he said I'm calling you to be my guy and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed to you. Now the hour has come. The whole world is coming out to me now. It is happening. Jesus is not just for the Jews but he's for every single one of us. He is the universal king. He is the king of the world. God's victory is universal. And then finally, uh, God's victory, of course, is dangerous. Uh, The subtext of all these last chapters of John is that once, once Jesus makes this move, he makes this announcement. Once he comes and does the triumphal entry and says, everybody here is judged, once he goes into the temple and shuts it down, it's a fait accompli. He's going to get killed. There's no way he's gonna escape it. He's going to get assassinated for crimes against the state. He's gonna get executed for sedition and for blasphemy. It's unavoidable. And he could have a permanent victory if he could just avoid this, right? So if you think about, it, if you wanna have, let's say that you're the king or the queen of whatever, you know, pick your territory, Maryville. Let's say you're the queen of Maryville. If you want your queendom of Maryville to be permanent, you're gonna have to figure out a way to not die. I mean, this is one of the things that's, that's hanging over the heads of all the kings of Persia, all the kings and queens of England is securing their legacy because they know People are trying to kill me right now. If you're the king or the queen, somebody's trying to kill you. If you're the president of the United States, somebody right now is trying to kill you. You have to figure out a way to secure your legacy. And the only way that Jesus can do that is to figure out a way to not die. If he's gonna be the eternal Lord of the universe, he has to figure out a way to not die. But he can't just simply be immortal because then he's out of touch with every single one of his citizens. And he's just this kind of like ageless, uber-powerful robot while all the rest of us cycle and come and go. He wants to be in touch with us. And so what he does is he figures out a way to be in touch with us, his citizens, and at the same time never die by getting killed and then coming back to life. I know this is Easter stuff right now. But his solution is to die and then never die again. He's the king of the hill. Not in the sense that like, if I'm the king of the hill, I'm up at the top of the dirt mound and three or four of you are coming up here to knock me off so that you can be the king of the hill and I can knock one of you off, but I know the whole time that there's two guys behind me coming after me and I can stay up here for a little bit, but my best bet is just to try and stay up here as long as I can. No, I'm gonna get knocked off and then try to bounce back. But if Jesus can be killed, if he can be knocked off, the king of the hill, and then permanently come back, he can never be defeated. Having died once, he'll never, ever die again. He's indestructible. He's bulletproof. Jesus' enemies are trying to kill him. It's dangerous, but he's going to rise from the dead and be bulletproof and never die again. And then finally, and then we'll be done, Jesus' enemies are also trying to kill Lazarus. Again, if if you have the text open, this is right before our reading for today. So, some of you know in John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Right before our reading this morning in verses 9 through 11, when the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. This has got to be something that, you know, this, has gotta, this is a curiosity. You'd want to see this, right? So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The Pharisees are going to kill this guy who's been raised from the dead. They're going to kill this guy who's been raised from the dead. They're not going to be like, "Holy cow, Jesus is able to raise people from the dead." Maybe we should adjust what we think about him. Instead, they're going to try to kill the guy that he raised from the dead. Power is way more important to them than truth. It's a big theme in the Gospel of John. You're going to get to this in the, uh, we'll read this on Thursday on, on, on Friday night, where Jesus basically says. Basically, says, I'm the truth. And Pilate says, What is truth? There's this big, really cool interplay. I'll explain it now so I don't have to do it Friday night when we're doing the reading. Cool interplay between how, how do truth and power relate to each other? This is the postmodern question. How do truth and power relate to each other? And the Pharisees are definitely on the side of power. We don't care what's true, we want to be in charge. And since Jesus raised from this, guy, this guy from the dead, and because of that, people are going to Jesus, we've got to kill Jesus, and we've got to kill Lazarus too. If you have been raised from the dead by Jesus, they're going to try to kill you. Those of you who are Christians, you are a, ch- you are a brother of the one who is on nobody's side. Nobody likes Jesus. I mean, people will pull him out and use him as a totem, But nobody actually wants to submit to Jesus because they want the power. And if it comes down to submitting to Jesus, they're just gonna kill him. They're just gonna try to kill him again. And they can't kill him again because he can't be killed anymore. But they will definitely try to kill you. They will definitely try to kill you. This is, if the world can't control you because you've become convinced that Jesus is Lord, then they will hate you. They will try to kill you. But the good news is that now that you're, now you are indestructible. Now you can't be killed. It is guaranteed that you will rise from the dead because Jesus rose from the dead. I'll, I'll just close with, I'll, I'll close with this last quote. This is from a, from a few chapters uh, from now. Because Jesus, because Jesus rose from the dead, he has won the ultimate victory. And that means that you have won the ultimate victory if you're in Jesus Christ. Jesus tells his followers that when you're, when you're facing the fears of this world, when you're facing the people who are opposed to you, you don't need to be afraid. In the world, you will have tribulation, he says in John 16, But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us and thank you for being good to us and thank you for saving us and rescuing us. Thank you for winning this victory. Thank you for being committed to our surgery. Thank you for saving every single one of us, Lord, for dying for every single one of us. Thank you for ruling and reigning over those of us who live here in the middle of the United States, 2,000 miles away 2,000 years and thousands of miles away from your son's death and resurrection. Thank you for protecting us in all danger by connecting us to the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name, amen. stand let's pray father may your gospel be proclaimed clearly all over the world may the name of your son jesus christ may his lordship and may his kingdom may spread everywhere may the entire world with with palm branches raised wave him into his kingdom will you let, allow our church to be a part of that? Will you let us be a part of that here in Glen Carbon? There are people living within sight of our church who have not yet confessed that your son Jesus is Lord, who have not recognized that he is the king of the universe. Father, will you allow our church to be a place where that's absolutely clear, where you rule and reign, where you have paid for the sins of everyone? where you have established truth and justice and righteousness, where you have created hope, promise for the future, where you have done in despair and hate and hopelessness. Father, will you allow our church to be a part of that in, in our lives as individuals and in our lives together, life together as a church? We want to see you doing that here at England Carbon. Lord, in your mercy. Father, be with all those who are struggling. We know that a part of your kingdom is the healing of sick bodies and the healing of sick minds and the healing of broken relationships and giving hope to those who are in despair and the forgiving of sins to those who are crushed by their own guilt. Father, for, for those who are, of us who are struggling with any or all of these things this morning, will you accomplish those? And, and where, Father, for, for instance, in where bodies aren't being healed like we would hope or relationships aren't being repaired like we would hope. Would you allow us to see the promise of your son's resurrection that you are determined to make those things new on the last day as well? Lord, in your mercy. Be with all of our sister churches this morning, our sister LCMS churches. As your name is being lifted up and your sacrament is being received and hymns to you are being uh, sung, and your confessions are being confessed. Father, may your kingdom grow wherever we're at. Would you be with all of your churches, with, with, with your whole church all over this whole world, Lord, in places with people whose languages we don't speak, people whose customs are completely different than ours, who will never meet on this side of your return, but with whom we have a, a concrete bond with them in your Holy Spirit our brothers and sisters all over the world. Father, as your name is praised this morning, may your name be glorified and may your kingdom grow. Lord, in your mercy. Be with us now, Father, as we come to the rail and receive the body and blood of your Son here given to us for the forgiveness of our sins and for salvation. And may we receive it with uh, repentance, knowing that we can't possibly perfect ourselves before coming up here. But we come as, with open hearts knowing that our only hope is you giving your son to us to repair our bodies and our souls with his body and his soul. Lord, in your mercy, we pray all these things in the name of our brother Jesus, who came to earth and ministered to us, died for us, rose from the dead for us, and has ascended and now rules and reigns over us. And brings us here into your throne room so that we can pray these prayers to you as our Father. We always pray these prayers in his name. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you. O Lord our God, King of all creation. For you've had mercy on us and given your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Grant us your Spirit, gracious Father, that we may give heed to the covenant of your Son in true faith, and above all, firmly take to heart the words with which Christ gives to us his body and blood for our forgiveness. By your grace, lead us to remember and give thanks for the boundless love which he manifested to us when by pouring out His precious blood, He saved us from Your righteous wrath and from sin, death, and hell. Grant that we may receive the bread and wine, that is, His body and blood as a gift, guarantee, and pledge of His salvation. Graciously receive our prayers, deliver and preserve us. To You alone, O Father, be all glory, honor, and worship, with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Pray in Jesus' name the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying take eat this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he also took the cup after supper and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Just a handful of things real quick. Come downstairs. Adults afterwards, we have a Bible study. We're talking and thinking about biblical eschatology, the end times. So please join us. There's Kids Sunday School for all ages as well down there. Look around and find somebody that you haven't talked to or you don't recognize and go up to them and develop relationship. That's how we meet Jesus And then third, if you would like to pray with somebody, please come forward after the service and there will be people up here who'd be happy to pray with you. Go in peace.